I should have peed before we started this. We I don't mean, do we don't do banter at the top of the episode. The microphone is actually pretty. The cable's long enough. Well, maybe we can just all walk together because the restroom is right <laughs> next door to us. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the boys and I. Hang on, hang on. I gotta do this real quick. I'm blowing the dust off of our channel and our feeds and everything because it's been so long since we posted. It has been a while. So you know we've been we've been naughty boys, uh, not recording for the last month. I think. Because of reasons. A lot of traveling. Uh, I was at Fantastic Fest. I went to Joshua Tree. And you may have also noticed that, that there's no video. So I uh, will say that this is me, Joel. Oh, and this is your pal, Jeremy. Hi, I love you. And we also have here today... Hey, this is Philip Molina. Special guest. Special Permanent host. Yes. Shit, yeah. <laughs> no, Brett is not with us today, and we're going to figure out what Brett's situation is uh, with Brett soon, uh, but we're going to have some guests, I think, on for a little bit. Yeah, so Joel and I have been talking about uh, some, of the, some of the episodes that we've done where we talk about industry stuff, and those seem to be the episodes that people really enjoy, and we get a lot of comments about, uh, and it's something that we like talking about quite a bit as well, and so we're going to kind of focus on that a little bit more and bring on... A lot of our friends that work at uh, on YouTube and around YouTube and Facebook and Snapchat and, and other platforms and just kind of uh, talk about where we're at in, in the industry and where we're at in our lives and kind and of what we think about what's happening. Yeah, get their thoughts on the state of the industry as well. Uh, and I'm really glad that we could get Philip for this first one because I think Philip's going to have a really unique and interesting perspective. Ugh. I hate it all so much. Let's get right into it, baby. <laughs> no, it's uh, uh, what the state of the industry. Well, uh, let's, well, let's, let's introduce yourself and say, sure. what, say what it is that you do. So uh, I'm Philip Molina. You guys uh, in this room know me from we all worked together at SourceFed, um, and that was an experience that we all, I'm sure, have gotten into a bunch of times on your podcast. I'm sure it has been covered a number We've of times. Talked a good amount about it. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to talk about it some more. Uh, yeah. Well, it's the, the best years are behind you, right? Uh, Jesus. No, uh, but uh, so before that, I, I used to uh, run and host and write a channel called New Rockstars, uh, youtube.com slash New Rockstars. And I did go back there uh, after SourceFed, but I kind of, um, I mean, I guess this is like a, a dirty secret that you guys probably knew. Is like I never fully left. Uh, just because No! <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, you remember when I would take uh, lunch for two weeks? Yeah, right. I did think that was kind of strange. I just assumed it was a progressive meal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, It was like an Amish person going and trying to spring up, but just for lunch. So I just was more advising, and I kind of like was looking away from the channel, and I kind of handed it over to my best friend from college to just kind of like host and write, but really kind of like plateaued for a while there. But when SourceFed ended, I actually did get a decent number of job offers, but I I made a chart in my bathroom on my, that's where my whiteboard is, that's where I do all my thinking. Uh, and it's a great I, it's place a brown, to think. It's a brown board, isn't it? Uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm uh, fastidious about, about wiping it down constantly. Got it. Uh, uh, so I uh, put every single job offer I had up there, and I like rated them in terms of like what part of town, uh, how much creative control I would have, how much money I would make, like every single thing, and I scored them all. And there were five pretty serious ones. And when I tab tabulated the whole thing, they all were almost exactly the same score for every single one of them. 
and then I had like a almost a depression for a second there because I was like in a weird place of trying to decide like like oh this means my my own life choice is up to me and I'm gonna probably mess this up or I'm gonna make a really bad choice and so I I, I was paralyzed and I went to go visit some of these places you know job offers in, in New York and stuff and I eventually you know I, I would I would love to say like and then I came out of that realizing you know what sometimes you gotta take life and but and like that's not at all what happened I very much just was like what if I just like waited and did whatever's the easiest thing to do <laughs> and then that kind of just happened where you know a couple of the jobs were I was like, I think that company's going to burn down really soon, so I'm just going to wait. And yeah, that company burned down. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, you know, like there were a couple things like that. Uh, and so I just kind of waited. And then it became, it, it made itself apparent to me uh, just to go back to New Rockstars, basically. Yeah, My first, oh, you go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I was just going to say, it's funny how, you know, depending on how your situation went, you'll run into people who are like, take the fucking bull by the horns, man. And then you'll meet people that are just like, I don't know, you know, shit just happens. You know, it happens for a reason. And it's like, usually those are people that just kind of like lucked into something. But yeah. when you are faced with, with choices like these, it can be a little paralyzing. Sometimes too much choice is, is too much choice. I definitely uh, have experience and continue to experience the same sort of thing where I'm like, I'm going on interviews and, you know, I'm trying to work on my own stuff and, and sometimes things are moving forward and sometimes they're not. And you keep asking yourself, am I making the right decision here? And, and and sometimes you'll pass something up and then you'll see it just kind of crumble and you'll be like, oh, I dodged a bullet there. But then other times you'll see something that you like turned down or, or, or didn't take seriously and it looks like it's going pretty well and you're like, did I fuck that up? Right. You yeah. know? I'm... Uh- I'm currently underemployed. I'm semi-employed, kind of doing some contracting work and developing some projects. But I had a job offer from a company, and I like it was the first time I think in my professional life where I had to make a conscious decision of whether I wanted to go work for this company. I wasn't that excited about it. The job I was not that excited about, but the paycheck I was not that excited about. But it was decent enough that I could have made a, a location in town. I was not. I thought about all. I've got an Excel spreadsheet. I'm not doing it. Anymore. Um, a brown spreadsheet. But I would, I, <laughs> I think I would have just like lottied on my, my way along as I have for my entire life. But my wife is super on top of stuff like mm-hmm. this. And she's very like smart about making moves that are tactical for your career. So we had like really long discussions about it for a week or two. And finally I decided it was like, I asked for a lot of stuff from this company and they, they kind of met me like a quarter of the way and it wasn't enough for me. And I had to stay firm and say like, I'm not going to take that job. I'm going to commit to not having a job for a while until I find the right thing. It's, it was good and it felt good, but I do look back on it now and I'm like, I would have, I would be, I would be employed. I'd be building something, you know, we're way too close to the moments right now. We can't actually comment on like, you know, was this choice from two weeks ago, the right choice? Like you don't know. No, it's totally true. I, I, so before I worked at Machinima, I was unemployed for a year and a half. I got laid off from G4 and I did freelance stuff. I like, I got money during that time. I didn't have a job job. Um, and I intentionally didn't want to take a job and the right choice was to not take a job for a year mm-hmm. and a half. Cause I ended up at Machinima and I had this whole new awesome career that I, we can talk about whether digital media is <laughs> thriving or dying right now in a minute. But like, I do love that. I, I think I made the right choice cause I found this other thing that I enjoy doing a lot. There's a lot of non, there's a lot of non-specifics in this, uh, in this conversation. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, company A is really, yeah. you know, uh, doing I mean, should, we, should we say what they are? I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I, I mean, I can I can talk pretty 
I mean, if anyone's interested, I can talk pretty candidly about what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I, uh... No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Pass. I, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to stay with uh, Group 9 Media, uh, and I made the decision to give myself this opportunity to work on something on my own. And, you know, that's been good and it's been bad. Uh, you know, I've been able to go on a lot of pitch meetings and do a lot of development, um, but I haven't sold a show, you know, and I'm working on starting uh, a company and it looks like that's really going to happen. And in the next few weeks or maybe next month or two, uh, you may actually see this channel launch materializing. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, but it's hard to be too excited about it because you just don't know how things are going to go. Right. Uh, and I've been really lucky to have been as successful as I've been with stuff in the past, but I've always had, uh, like a certain, like a secret weapon, you know, I've always had, I've been building something like kind of covertly on the side at Machinima or, you know, standing something up with the, with the fan base of, of SourceFed is pretty different than, they kind of building something from from scratch, as I'm sure Philip, you've you've mm -hmm. experienced. You know, sometimes sometimes uh, it's not exactly up to you. You can you can know as much as you know about analytics and behavior and audience and marketing and all that stuff. And if the content is just not that good, or if uh, if it's just not you know being shared, you're kind your of at the mercy of, of the audience. Yeah. yeah, or if your platform is literally sabotaging you, which is happening to a lot of people right now. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a little, it's a little frightening. Uh, you know, I have a, I have a family that relies on me. I have a, I have a wife and a daughter and mortgage and all this stuff. So I can't really like, I'm not like a 22 year old kid right. that can afford to crash and burn. Uh, and this industry really kind of sets you up to either succeed, you know, to the highest degree or crash and burn. And there's not a lot of in between. You know, I, we do know some people that just kind of go along to get along and they coast. Uh, but with how fast things move in this industry and, and how quickly they shift and how important your reputation can be, you know, that's, that's maybe not, you know, the best for like a long-term career. Yeah. Uh, I think it's better to just either succeed spectacularly or fail spectacularly. I also find that when you fail spectacularly, spectacularly, a lot of people respect that. They'll say like, hey, you took a big risk. It didn't pay off. Maybe there were extenuating circumstances, but I like that you're a risk taker. People like... I, I like that you rebranded that channel, made it your own, yeah. changed the name. Still yeah. doing cool nerd content yeah, on it. Yeah. Which is pretty much what I'm doing. Uh, yeah. It's a, yeah. More or less. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I actually, so, I mean, this this is like a secret that I didn't have any I issue with keeping. It was just like, oh, I guess people don't know this. But I was fully like approached to, to manage that transition to now this nerd uh, and to like advise on it and everything. And I, one of my main pieces of advice to them was, was like, you guys aren't going to do it right, but there are people that could have done it right and could do it right. Unfortunately, it's not going to be you guys. And like, it, it was uh, it kind of exactly what, what I think, Jeremy, like the fact that you are going to do it. It's like, I'm not, I don't think there's any, any reason why you should even be scared based on what happened with Malice Nerd to rebrand something. Because there are people who get it from the inside and can change, you know, it's really just pivoting. There, there are, and there definitely are ways to do it. And I, and I think that like, it's always different circumstances, right? Like right. what I, what I'm doing, what I have done in the past has always been respectful to the core audience and mm -hmm. basically just expanding on the very same idea and often with the very same people. Right. 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 I've never, I've never taken a challenge to be like, this is something totally different now. Uh, that, that to me doesn't really, doesn't really work. Um, you know, for the, for the main reason being when people, 
subscribe to a, a, a brand or a channel or something, they're usually subscribing for the people. And, and the content itself doesn't matter as much unless it is a content first channel. And in this specific case, in SourceFed's case, it, it wasn't. Right. Uh, SourceFed, in fact, there was confusion from day one about why it was even called SourceFed Nerd or what the hell the content even was because they were doing... Right. Is it second channel personality content? How does Table Talk fit into yeah. that? You right. know, is it is it just SourceFed 2? Why don't you just call right. it that? Like it was, you know, I don't, I don't really understand the branding of it. I tried to make the best of it, um, you know, and, and do something that was going to continue to build and something that was going to monetize better than what they were doing because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted everybody to make money and keep their jobs, you know. Uh, Nailed but, it. Yeah, it didn't work out. <laughs> but that's not your fault either. And I agree. Like a, like a lot of it is situations beyond your control. I mean, and this is the shitty thing is that as insiders, we all know that there are situations beyond your control. Mm-hmm. When you're a programming manager for like NBC, for network television, network, like your distribution model hasn't changed in 70 years. Now, there are fewer people watching network TV now, but there aren't that many changes beyond watch habits, which because you're like... Even now, you're still abused, like, the, the biggest, you know, the biggest uh, fucking fish in the tank or whatever. Like, the job is pretty much the same as it used to be, for the mm-hmm. most part. Our jobs have changed so much because the platform has changed so much. So, like, when we, you know, even from when I came on board to SourceFed to now, which was about a year, you know, at this point, it's about a year and a half from when I started at SourceFed, the platform is totally different. And it's so hard to be able to make the case that, I, I, I would say on SourceFed, the content by the end was so good and I was so happy with it and the, and the audience was finally on board with it, but the platform had changed so much that like we weren't getting recommended. It, like right. the channel wasn't in the same place in 2012 when it launched where like there were shares and there were like YouTube was almost functioning kind of like a social media platform and it's not anymore. It is right. purely a video pipeline. Yeah, it's funny that they tried to, that they tried to implement tools for, for social media aspects Later on, like what was that even called? Is it even still there? No, Google Plus elements. No, no, no. They had like a tab, uh, like a social tab. Oh right, right. Yeah, and you could post and make that. Your, I swear to God, I don't even know post. if that's even still there. Yeah. But it was like they never. I don't think fully rolled it out to everyone. Yeah, that was supposed to be like a big deal, and it's like why? Why wasn't that always there? Like it is a social well, platform, or it could have been, should have been. I think it's worth because uh, you're right. They were all kind of like uh, community uh, tab. Is that yeah, it? the community tab. Yeah. Um, Five months ago, as most yeah. recent posts on Phil's channel. Right. So uh, I think everyone in the room kind of gets what, what we're talking about, but I think it is worth kind of pointing out the difference that you're, you're trying to describe here in a, in a more, a very specific way. True. With the medium difference between television and YouTube or anything like that. And it's actually, here's what really sucks. From YouTube's perspective, it's it's this, they built this amazing tool that can do so many things. And most importantly, can give you so much insight into who exactly is watching and how to get that person to keep watching and how to monetize that viewer. Uh, television, I mean, we famously know television doesn't even get when understand when you watched a thing, when you turned it on and when you turned it off. Nielsen households are only a few households yeah. in America that are representative of supposedly everyone. They're still talking about maybe we should count online views. It's like they're that far behind. Meanwhile, YouTube knows literally if you Googled something... Like on off yeah. YouTube on the on Google, if you Google something and then watch the video that is anything related to that, they'll serve you video sets like that level of nuance. That's all well and good, but if like unless YouTube is interested in documenting the changes to its algorithm and tell like directly telling its creators like what has changed and what's important now, 
then you're still shit out of luck because I can look at all the analytics I mm -hmm. want to look at. Um, but until YouTube tells me, oh, you know, watch time isn't as report as as important as retention rate, or retention rate now right. isn't as important as what they, uh, as view acceleration or whatever they call velocity, it. Right? Velocity, velocity, view velocity. They don't call it that, but yeah. Uh -huh. But yeah, so like until YouTube tells you that stuff, you can have all that information in the world. It doesn't right. mean anything. Well, so no, that's what my point is. It means a shit ton to them, sure. but we don't have that actual actual it, information. We have circumstantial it evidence. Means, it means a shit ton to them because they can go out to advertisers and, and tell them all this stuff, right. and then the advertisers will choose not to advertise on any of the videos. Right. It's perfect. It's the perfect system. <laughs> so here's a quick uh, explainer for anyone who's wondering how this applies to SourceFed Nerd and, and how we were saying that, like, you know, we it was out of your control. So SourceFed Nerd, and you two have heard me talk about this a million times, but uh, your listeners probably haven't. Uh, it was built as SourceFed's second channel, and people signed up to see what Lee Newton was going to do in the office, what Steve was going to do in the office, what Joe was going to do, what games would appear, what they'd be like personality-wise. Yeah, yeah. And that was the majority of the initial fan base. And then when it kind of pivoted and tried to brand itself as like Nerd News especially, Nerd News was very, very different from what was coming before that. So all these people are... That's not necessarily 100% true because they were doing Nerd News just on SourceFed. So so I'm talking... I'm trying to be like almost like a computer in my sure. level of right. like... Like, it, it's not how we perceived it. It's literally a person hit subscribe for a certain kind of content. And then when on the second channel, things started to happen there uh, that were different from that thing, a new subscriber base started to move in. And it seemed like a cumulative total of, oh, we're headed toward a million subscribers, which did, you know, happen. But it was actually more like 300,000 active 300, subscribers. 300,000 looking for this thing that you're currently doing, 700,000 that long ago kind of stopped seeing what they wanted to see. I agree with you, and and I think that that, 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 that is illustrated really well, actually, in the SourceFed main channel as well, where by the end of it, with the exception of occasionally seeing... I mean, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm going to take that back. None of the original hosts by the end of SourceFed's run were on SourceFed on a regular basis at all. Um, you would occasionally see, like, like you would have Joe come over or Elliot come into a table talk or something like that, but none of the hosts were there. And in fact, none of the second generation hosts were on the channel hardly at all either. And I'm talking about people like Steve and Bree and Matt Lieberman. By the end, it really was Candace, Ava, um, uh, Mike, and Subtick. And But my point in saying this is, that's fine. That channel had however many you know million subscribers it had. Was it two? Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, and but we had by the end of it five months of uninterrupted growth, which means that even if the majority of those two million people weren't watching, mm -hmm. and in fact a lot of them were unsubscribing, the, the the videos were getting more and more popular because we were winning over a new audience. And I think now there is not a way to do this manually yourself, but your YouTube rep can purge old subscribers from your channel that are inactive. Um, and that's like that is a tool that I wish we had had access to at SourceFed because I would have much preferred to get rid of the 1.7 million people right. uh, who weren't watching our stuff and then have a, like a really active, robust community that could then give you the view velocity that you need. Right. That can give, then give you the percentage of your audience that's watching your video, which anecdotally is very important in the video algorithm to get into recommended videos and we can talk a little bit about that and it's one of the reasons i also think well, not not being able to do that is what makes it impossible to run a youtube channel as a company because yeah. you know a company I, needs to pivot toward profitability at all times but subscribers want the exact opposite they want you to never change they want you to never change and like the, the companies are never gonna like every every time you have a host 
within a few months they're going to ask for a raise. Now imagine this going on for like seven years. Right. By the end of it, you, you would be paying them hundreds of thousands of dollars if you like acquiesce to each request. And you're or making you, the same amount from them. And you'd be making probably less because you're probably going to get diminishing returns on it. If that, anything. And that's, all, that's all well and good. And I think a lot of the hosts, does, I think a lot of people that are doing this work who work really hard deserve raises. But if the company can't pay it to them, I mean, my solution, the solution that you and I have, Jeremy and I have talked, had talked a lot about is ownership. And I think that company need, companies need to be more open to letting the, the, the talent on their channel mm-hmm. have some ownership stake whether that means literally owning a percentage of the channel, or that means there's a rev share on the um, on the advertising, so that they're incentivized. But if the if the, the company's not profitable, then that doesn't mean anything. That's no, but it means that, that there's a reason to try to get it toward profit. Right. right. Yeah. Like, you don't you don't really have any incentive to care about the business if you're not like in some kind of leadership role. So well, no, because hey, okay, so this is like the stuff that you know I think I shouldn't talk about, but I will. Uh, welcome to the, welcome to the boys. The boys and I have a welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so new rock stars. I do not own that channel. I don't. I don't receive uh, the benefits of whether or not that channel does does well or not. Right. Um, and it's but it's run like a very small channel. It's very lean. I run it as if I own it. You're not answerable to really anybody, are you? I'm not. I mean, technically yes. Technically but, yes, but like but no. creatively, no, no one's like telling you what kind of shows to make or anything. Right, but here's here's the most frustrating thing, and this is why you're catching me at this very frustrating moment in my life. Uh, I'm in order to to be that person that has that level of leadership that is making choices in every aspect from programming to a budget to how much you're paying the host, how much, like making all those choices, there's an expectation that you would have of, well, the reason I'm giving so much of myself to this is because in some way I'm giving back to myself. And really, it's like, no, I'm really giving all this back to the owner. Right. And so, it's, I'm not feeling that it, uh, gratification in another way either. You're right. 100% right. And this, this is ultimately why one of the reasons I struggle, one of the many reasons I've been struggling to come to... To figure out which job I want to take next. Because again, yeah, I mean, I, I, I sort of went through a litany of reasons I didn't take this other job. One of the big reasons, and I talk about this with my wife a lot, is that I'm tired of building successful things for, someone for somebody else. Right. And similar to, like, I'm, I mean, I'm very envious of Jeremy, who's starting his, his own company right now, and there's a lot of risk with that. I'm at a place in my life that if I were 23 and I knew what I knew now, I would absolutely do that. I'm, I'm like, I'm envious yeah, of Steven right. Subtick because he has a, like, he has this thing that he owns. I mean, these are the Calchop guys. They own that. You know, we didn't, we don't own, when I was at Funhouse, we didn't own Funhouse. Obviously, we didn't own any of the Machinima videos or any, any of the shows. And that's fine. There are plenty of jobs like that. In digital media, they don't pay what they pay in, in real TV mm-hmm. to be a show development. Right. You know, and um, I, like, I would love <laughs> to, to start a company. And we have talked about it. I've talked about it with a bunch of other people. I have a house. I have a mortgage. Like, I'm I'm at a place where I feel like if I were to do that, I would need substantial financial backing, right. and I like I don't have access to. And that here's right the now. thing: so I, I've been in those conversations. You you will add a, a whole frustration to your life when you start realizing when somebody else financially backed you, you just got right back into that world. Of totally. Like, now I'm I'm building it for them. Totally. Um, there are I think there are some people who for whom a couple hundred thousand dollars is not that big sure. of a deal. And they see it as sort of like a, yeah, this let's plant, let's plant a bunch of seeds and some of them will grow. Um, but yeah, I think, 
I think you're right. Um, it was one of the problems with Machinima. I think, I think is that, that, our, that, our, that can work, right? Like in the instance of, of, of Cowchop, I think, uh, you know, I don't know where the where the money came from, but it's um, it's a situation where it seems like those guys all have like pretty joint ownership of it and they're not really beholden to anyone. And, and even in the instance of the thing that I'm working on, I'm working with a partner uh, who uh, is a genuine partner. This is not just like a guy writing a check. This is a, 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 a friend and a collaborator and somebody that I'm going to be making content with. Uh, and I, I feel it's like... my little Megley, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. real racist. Yeah, like really, really super racist. Yeah. But a great partner. Yeah, but a great partner. Never. No, I mean, I, I went on CCTV and I talked to the Calchop guys a lot about this, and and what they told me, and this is not a secret, I think, because it was on the it was on the podcast, was that James um, Nova fronted all the money to start Calchop, mm-hmm. and they didn't get investments from they didn't get any money from Rooster Keith until way further down the line, and he took all that risk on himself, and he was the one ultimately, like him and Brett and Alex, were making the content, obviously, so mm-hmm. he was only answerable to himself. Which is the ideal situation. I just need to be independently wealthy and start my own company. Yeah, I mean, if, if we had the ability to just say, like, yeah, I'm just going to hire some editors and, like, rent a space and stuff like that. Right. And, like, it's not going to it's not gonna interfere with my ability to pay my rent and whatever. If we were in that place, we would all be super successful, I think, actually. So, I, I, th- I think it's important to clarify that this is one route toward, like, happiness in, in the kind of things that we make. Because right now, I'm, I'm also realizing that I'm envious of people with clear delineations on their role. And that's almost the opposite of being an owner, being like, you don't have to answer to anyone. I love my you have no delineation, production coordinator. Right? Yeah, this, this little post-production coordinator guy I hired, he comes to work, he does his job, and then he leaves and his job is done. Yeah. And the most importantly, not even just the fact that, you know, whether or not he gets, has to take work home with him, which, which owners obviously do. But also, the expectations are so clear and done, and he either did a good job or he didn't, and that's it. Like, And then he goes and lives his life. And honestly, the only reason that I wouldn't take that job is like Joel said, where those pay so well in TV and in movies. That's what I was going to say. It's on digital, they're unionized. So many of those jobs in TV, in TV and movies are unionized. And like, if you're a writer, if you're a writer for digital, you're going to get paid shit. Nothing. And you're not going to own it. If you're a writer for TV, you might not own the show that you're working on, but fuck, you're getting guild rates, uh, uh, weekly yeah, rates, and you're getting and you're getting and when you get your name on an episode, you also get like a residuals, residuals. Yeah. But like, in addition to your weekly paycheck, which is very good, when you put your name on an episode right. written by, you get a large, substantial chunk of money. I, I don't know what it is now. It's somewhere between twenty and forty thousand right. dollars. So, so on Parker plays, was that? Like, I got forty thousand dollars an episode for Parker plays. Okay, yeah. but uh, but did so, you really? Fuck no. Did you have to go, like... <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Did you have to go through the WGA at all? No, so it was a non-union show, which is why I'm oh, not credited as a writer. And it was, like, right at the... And, and we were producing it during the time of a threatened writer strike, and so they right. were very, very worried about how credits were going to run so on that So you were show. a scab. So I was not a scab, because <laughs> we did the, 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 w, the, the WGA... Didn't, I have been a scab, though. I was, um, really? during the initial writer strike... I worked on a non-union show on the G4 network, and I would drive past CBS Television City. The picket every, lines? The picket oh, lines every wow. single day, and I would honk, and we tried to organize, we tried to unionize at Comcast, and Comcast was like, fuck you, no. Get we heard that honk. Get back to work. And we're like, all right, sorry, we'll get back to work. Sorry. Like, we, like, they were, yeah. we had really tried to circulate a lot of documentation, and we had gotten a lot of, like, we had gotten a vast, like, something 80% of the, the, the producers and writers to sign up for it, but, wow. yeah. But, yeah. but 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 yeah, you're right. Like editors, producers, and writers 
on digital. Like, just don't make any money. And but they're dream jobs in the in the other industry. So I I'm fairly friendly with a uh, editor who does feature films, and he does like like I don't want to call them garbage feature films, but they're like very much like the movies that come out around Christmas, family movies that come out around Christmas, comedies. He edits them. He has the most gorgeous house, you know, on Franklin, uh, Franklin Village, right behind UCB. Those houses, one of those houses was uh, that movie Transcendence, I think, or something. Whatever was the house. I no, actually, that. Well, I shouldn't say this. It it may have been this person's house. I just remember. <laughs> uh, anyway, that guy's just an editor, like in during the day, and then he's just. He goes goes home. A mansion, you know, and he has this lovely life and these great kids. Which well, is again, like, if digital paid what TV paid, I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that I don't have ownership because you have job security, you have a pension, you're in a union, you have health benefits. Right. Like, I'd, I'd be totally fine with that. I've, I've made that decision before. You know, I I was a writer and an on-screen talent and stuff for, for years in my, like, middle 20s. And there, granted, there wasn't there wasn't a way to go monetize on YouTube then or I probably mm-hmm. would have done that. Um but I would, that was like some of the happiest times I ever had because I was totally free and all I had to do was show up and do my thing that I wanted to do anyway. Sure, then a source of And then I would just like fuck off back home. This is like, yeah. this is like 2007 and shit. Oh yeah, right? I mean, like, no one on source was born yet. Yeah, they, they were, they were still, <laughs> they were still in elementary school. Yeah. Um, but, and even, but, but when I got to Machinima, it was kind of like I had to make a decision. Do I want to be on camera or do I want to be like in programming and production? I felt like that was a clear path to like being in in film and television because they were talking about oh we're working with warner brothers mm-hmm. we're working on this working on that um but it's just like a parade of executives coming from from actual like from actual industry, linear yeah. industry like constantly coming in and sort of like putting a glass ceiling over all the digital folks to regardless of your success level or reputation right and know. also taking all the money like, like those, those people who came from tv to digital did not take a pay cut they all continue to make yeah. the money that they make. Yeah, so, oh, they're, they're, so they bankrupt all these companies. They're making triple the money to bankrupt the company and make sure that, that we don't get paid. Right, they know? actually brought those people over with higher salaries than they were making in TV. Even yeah. then, even then, I was happy to take the job with, with Discovery uh, and and be in yet another role where I am, you know, in a managerial, producerial role, uh, you know, kind of managing the whole thing. And, and I like doing that. Um I just don't, I don't think it really, I don't, obviously it didn't have the level of security that I thought it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not ever, right? So I, I'm just kind of coming to the realization that it, that if you want to make it in digital, you have to be independent. Like there's just no way you can count on, on anybody. The only people Unless- I see making money are people that are either talent or people that are uh, investors or no, you can be attached also to a brand that like is not going anywhere like Smosh you're attached to that brand you're good so for how like, long I mean for for a very long time because uh, like so well maybe not those, the, one of the guys from Smosh is gone right how long is it before the other guy goes well, so they, and then the so, whole thing kind of collapses so Smosh actually the, like like having worked at the buy I watched kind of the worries about that kind of thing and they, they actually pulled it off. They switched the, the interest into a new cast. Yeah. And then they made the audience understand this is a thing like SNL. But again, going to have a changing cast. And now Smosh still is huge. That, that was, I mean, that, I, I'm going to touch on this and I think we, I'd like to move on to a different topic. But like, that was for me the hardest thing about SourceFed was turning that chain, like making the audience like the new cast. And getting back to the original point, like, 
partially, I don't know how, I don't, I, look, I don't get Smosh's analytics, like I don't get to look at them, mm -hmm. but partially it is making the existing audience say, like, oh, these guys are also good, but a lot of it might just be new people coming, like new audience members coming in and looking at them. And, and I, ultimately I think it was about 50-50 on SourceFed was... 50% of the audience actually stuck around and gave these gave a new cast a chance. And, and, it, and it is possible. So this is my whole point. That it is possible to rebrand if you do it carefully, deliberately, and you have the patience. But most companies don't have the patience to sit through an 8 to 12 month programming cycle to figure out like how to make it well, work. I think, I think they, just, they just say 90 days and it's not you're not getting 400,000 views. Fuck it, everybody's fired. To their, credit, to their credit, Smosh and, and Defy in general, you know, current events notwithstanding... Uh, in general, they've they've been really good at at cross promoting. Um, you know, from from sort of the uh, the Smosh guys to the Smosh Two or the Smosh right. Mini, well, so they and they've also been good at, at overlapping with with all of the other brands like right. Australia's and you know. Speaking screen. of cross promoting, uh huh. One of the things I wanted to talk to Philip about, uh, mm -hmm. I made up a phrase this weekend. Uh, it's a real bullshit digital media phrase that I was proud of. Yeah. I'm curious to hear you talk a little about. What I call space docking. <laughs> it's uh, a lot of fun, hard to get right. <laughs> Super hard to get right. Um, the economy of transactional collaborations in digital media. So that's like a fancy bullshit way of saying you have people on who aren't your regular hosts all the time. And I, in my estimation, that's one of like it's not a big surprise. Like having a collaboration is one of the key ways to like rapidly increase the growth in, in the my channel of my podcast yeah uh hello nice yeah, to have you nice to meet you, but but you is this a strategy that you're deliberately pursuing and uh, so i don't want to deflate your image of me but absolutely not actually oh. um it has I, I am aware of the effect um but the the strategic version of it is not the kind of person i am if, if i if i wanted to just essentially what collabing is is trying to uh, take someone else's audience, right? It's the simplest way to put it. Like, you're trying to get their audience to watch it. Well, taking it assumes it's a, it's a zero-sum game. No, it's, it's not a zero-sum zero game. Sure, but uh, uh, but gain, gain the people that watch them, you want them to watch you, right? So there are entire company strategies that are definitely based off of collabing. And actually, before New Rockstars was New Rockstars, it was New Media Rockstars, and it heavily, the people in charge at the time, heavily relied on this idea of collabing. And I think that was actually a big mistake because it led to a bit of what SourceFed had, where it was like, who are you guys here for? And it's not anything consistent, so it's, it became very hard to put a pin in what they actually wanted to do. So the best growth New Rockstars ever had when it became one of the top 100 fastest growing channels was exactly the same moment that the faces became consistent and the topics became very consistent. Now I'm at a point where you are seeing different faces, but... I'm aware that the side effect is that it's it's positive collaboration that is leading to you know people that want to see Sam they get to see him on the channel or they want to see Ma they get to see. Him on I think the people are probably more likely to be subscribed for the content than anything on a channel like that. So, yeah. they, so it's a little they different. Are, but I'd actually rather them not be. I'd rather them right. attach fully to the personalities. And you'd be surprised. I've done like A/B testing on this kind of stuff. Uh, they they are there for the personality mixed with the content. Which is why if you try the same content with a different personality, they actually get very frustrated. So for you, it, it's highly advantageous for you who don't own the business to have the audience really coming every day for you and your co-host. But for your parent company, it's highly advantageous for them. We've had that conversation flat out, like yeah. in full honesty of just like, 
you know, it feels like this is very much building these personalities lately, especially, and, and especially we haven't even launched this new show yet, but actually, I don't know if by the time people hear this, we might have launched a new show that is more about building personalities, and they're not huge fans of that. Luckily, what I have on my side is that's, it's good content strategy to get people to love people, because that's why you like a movie or TV shows, you love the people in it. Well, and, and YouTube is such a person, I mean, it is primarily a personality-intensive uh, platform. Right, feel free to go watch Watch Mojo if you want just that, or make Watch Mojo if you want success without building that. But, I mean, okay, so right now, I'm being fully honest, uh, you know, I'm not thrilled with, with what I'm doing right now, and so if I can't even, like, make it related to characters and, and comedy in some way and write in some way, if it really is just like, man, can we switch on some views on these videos? Can we get paid? This got a good brand deal. Like, I, I did, that really is my job, well then, no thank you. You know what I mean? I have to be able to do this other side. Welcome to the club! Yeah. So, okay, so I have a question for you guys, actually, based on that. I, yes, hello. I, uh, oh, hey, uh, did you, were you asleep? <laughs> Just take a little nap. <laughs> yeah, uh, you wake up answering a phone every time. <laughs> this is Jeremy. Uh, so I'm wondering if you, if I've arrived to this place where you guys are, or if you guys aren't there yet, of this thing of having to admit, and people might hate this, by the way, because it's a little bit of like, oh, you have all this opportunity and yet you're complaining, which all of us kind of just did for the last half hour. Uh, but where you're like, yeah, I, I have these things I can be doing, and I'm having these debates, and I'm having these whiteboard discussions with my wife or whatever about what uh, digital thing I'm going to do. But, like, the voice in my head is screaming now louder than ever, this isn't what you actually wanted to do. Um, this isn't what I moved to L.A. to do. Yes. But, and, and I was really happy to work on Parker Plays because I moved to L.A. to be a writer. Right. And... Even though Parker Plays like wasn't a scripted narrative show, I still got to write. In addition to like intros and outros and one-liners and jokes and like here are thirty different things you could say at the top of the show. Choose right. one of them, or you know, let's record all of them and see what's funniest. I did get to write sketches, and I did get yeah. to do like, on I, television. On television, and I got to, like I got to direct some stuff, which was super fun, and I got to produce some stuff for TV again, which was super fun. So I'm really grateful that 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 aspect of my life has sort of come back for the first time in seven or eight years, and it's it's really inspired me to do some narrative projects that I'm working on my own right now. Mm -hmm. So yes, but at the same time, I still like, I still really enjoy the like the aspect of my job that is figuring out like what is really valuable and good about this channel or this brand or this show. And how do we bring that out and make that shine? And how can we, you know, whether it's turning a channel around or like launching a new project how do we how do we make that happen? And the instant gratification of seeing an audience reaction and being able to tweak it on the fly is really exciting and fun to me still. I just don't think a lot of companies for me are that interested in that aspect of the job. They really want um, people from TV. They, they're, they're really not interested in digital natives programming for digital right now. And it's, it's, it's been really, I mean, there are some jobs out there, but it's been really frustrating for me that when I go to these interviews, hearing what they expect uh, from a programming strategy or like what they expect from a role like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, um, so I actually, I, I feel like this is kind of what I want to be doing. I was an early adopter of, of, of digital video back when I was in college. Mm -hmm. uh, I had like sort of accidentally made viral videos on like weird random sites. Um, I didn't really think that that could be a job, you know, I thought it was just like a, a, a funny hobby that I had, like right. a weird quirk. Uh, and when given the opportunity to actually create stuff, 
you know, while also doing my, my thing when I first moved here, I was like directing music videos and I was like writing for websites and stuff. Uh, but having the opportunity to really kind of get into to video and, and kind of be put into positions of responsibility for that uh, was, was very fulfilling for me and continued to be for quite a long time uh, because I get a real kick out of trying things first or being first or being early. You know, like if there's, you know, when everyone was doing 360 and VR, I wanted to do 360 and VR projects that no one else had ever done before, like the stop motion thing we did. Uh, or the sort of narrative thing with a lot of VFX that I don't think anybody had figured out before, or I want to do a style of cartoon that no one had done before. We had done pretty much the first, like, Minecraft animated narrative ongoing series way back and on Minecraft Noob Adventures. We had done, uh, you know, Santa Included way back in the day, which was kind of like a, a robot chicken thing with video mm -hmm. games. We had done stuff with Tommy Wiseau. We had done stuff with Liam Lynch, you know, just like, all these really cool, weird experiments uh, and, 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 and film festivals and just like this constant row of, of cool, innovative things. And I don't think that there's another industry or job where you could just constantly be doing innovative things uh, you, outside of a tech. And, and tech is like, what, what do they even make? Like an innovative thing in tech is not as interesting to me as an innovative thing in entertainment. But at the end of the day, I'm starting to realize that it's all kind of, it's kind of meaningless if it's not building anything. Uh, no one cares. It's like the only person that cares is me and I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of of an age and of a level of experience where I need people to know and care what it, what it was and, and what I've done or else I cannot continue to go anywhere because there is a glass ceiling between linear and digital for sure, right? And there there is a separation between you know those who just go do it themselves and those who continue to work for companies that are doing it. And I think a lot of us are kind of consistently finding ourselves in the position where we're working for companies that do it. And, and, and you, you lose a certain amount of decision-making power at, at the critical moment almost always. But it's not just the difference of uh, is there a company control or not. It's also – so one thing that we, the three of us in this room, have uh, different is that at least for the last few years – you two have been doing exactly what Joel is describing and what you've been describing about this strategizing and trying to innovate and all these things. And I've been doing that too, behind the scenes, but in front of the camera, I've had a, a persona start to build up and, and a certain brand or whatever. And I, I think it's like, this is, again, I, I hate when people talk about this industry. It's like, everything's so new and fresh or whatever. It's not, it's not that. It's just certain things haven't been um, properly uh, uh just disgust, I guess. So there's a thing that happens in YouTube's quote-unquote success where you start to have to decide not only like what do you want to be working on, but literally who am I as a human being when you are on camera. And that's specific to YouTube, right? There's nobody running CBS who's also in, in uh, Big Bang Theory. Right. Unless Moon Best doesn't show up, like slide through the door like camera or something. So the, you get to separate that on YouTube. There's a you guys aren't in that right at this moment, but it's very common. You know, Subtip will get there at some point, and that's kind of where I'm at right now, where I am in control of what I'm doing and, and what I'm making, and yet I've almost accidentally, but I guess strategically, still built a a very clear brand and persona and the things I care about, and it's maddening. Because, because you have to commit I, to it. Yes, and you, yeah. you're you saying, you know, this is the only place where you can innovate, you can kind of do anything. It's like, actually, the moment you do, people are like, uh-uh, no, I signed up for a very specific thing. Yeah, but, but like, so like, 
that exact thing happened to me totally by accident. Like, mm-hmm. I started at Mishima very much behind the scenes, and I did a few videos. Like, I would occasionally be in stuff for Realm, but I never, Mishima Realm, but I never asked to be on camera. And I think it was because I never asked to be on camera that, like, Brett wanted to work with me more often, and we started doing more stuff, and I got promoted and started working on ETC and Inside Gaming. And then I was, like, kind of the behind-the-scenes guy for Inside Gaming, and the persona sort of developed from there. And then before I knew it, I'm working at Rooster Teeth and I have 150,000 Twitter followers, 140,000 Twitter followers, whatever, which is not like what I set out to do. So first of all, what the fuck am I going to do with that? Besides like just do the same thing I've always done on Twitter, which is make bad jokes and post my art and, you know, be who I am. But you're right. To a certain extent, there are people who, when I like post my political stuff, which I do, which I did before I had a hundred whatever thousand, people get, a lot of people get upset with me. Some people agree with me. And to me, it's not committing to being the... Because I did. I committed to an on-camera persona as part of Funhouse. I was much more flamboyant and, like, ebullient and made, you know, shitty uh, musical puns and, and stuff like that. Effervescent the is the uh, word I would use. <laughs> yeah, effervescent, yeah. Um, and, but I don't do that on... Like, that's not who I am it, right. as much in real life. It's a distilled version of me. You right. know? Yeah, in real life, I mean, you're as dark as they come. Just grim. Yeah, yeah. gross, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but so you you have a hint of it, and you mostly are even admitting you avoided it. You mostly became known as yourself. This is the guy who works behind the scenes. Because I studiously avoid, like, I, I was, I'm not ever very comfortable on camera. I enjoy it. I, like, and I'm really gratified to be able to do it, and I love it when people ask me to do stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm, like, I don't want to pursue it. It's not really what I was out here for. But if someone, like, I, I always said, because I would, you know, I would go on dates and you would meet people or you would go back to college and people would be like, who are you going to let? Are you going to be an actor? And I would always say, if I'm walking down the street and some agent rolls down his convertible window and is like, ah, oh, hey there, good looking kid, I'm going to sign you a 12 picture deal. I was never going to say, hell no. I'm Don't trust like, that guy. Fuck you. No, that sounds no. like really That's suspicious. Like old, an old timey guy in the modern day. <laughs> he, LA, he spoke yeah. through a giant megaphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, get hop in my car. I'll give you some candy and a contract. Uh, did they have uh, pedophiles and, and convertibles at, in LA at some point? Absolutely. Oh wow! They had pedophiles and convertibles in in nineteenth century France as well. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's the on camera Joel making shitty dumb jokes. Don't you like think that. this can be like a bit of a grass is always greener sort Absolute, of situation? That's kind of my because point. here yes. here's my my I have the exact opposite problem is that I I feel like I cut out of that way too soon and I I really did not take it seriously as a, like, like how, well, who cares how many Twitter followers I have and shit like this, right? But now I have produced over a hundred shows and the thing that people remember is always who was on the show, right? right? Nobody remembers the person that made all those shows, let alone the, that one person was behind so many different shows. Yeah, what would you- and, and I've been on pitch meetings at companies before where they are in active development on on series with hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of budget with some YouTube or Vine star or somebody who has been working for like six or eight months and just happened to like kind of get real lucky and like, doesn't really even know how to do any of this stuff. And then like, I have a lot of opinions though. Yeah. And then, and then I'll have like this, this really developed show with this really good track record and everything. And not to be like a fucking bitch and complain about it, but it's like my show will not sell. No, right, and, and, and I, I really believe if I walked in with like two hundred thousand Twitter followers, it would be a very different story. If I yeah. walked in with a good project and yeah. two hundred thousand Twitter followers, it would sell. So I've gone a lot of interviews. I've gotten a few job offers. I've also gone a lot of interviews and gotten no job offers. And I tell you that they've done research. They know who I am. 
they like they they background check me and everything. And for me at least, it doesn't make a difference. I've it depends on what you're going out for. Like I actually do know that because of having even a little bit of a following or attachment to things. I mean, I get I get like cold calls and and emails that are just like, hey, do you have any ideas of shows you want to produce? It's, just, it's, a, really, it's a really useful tool, but it's kind of crazy also that that's an expectation. Like I have friends that are directors and stuff, right. and they don't have to do all that kind of shit, right? right? Like they can just be a good director and make good films. Which I but in digital, in digital, yeah, in digital, we have to be brilliant programmers and we have to know the strategy of how to do it and we have to have good taste and we have to be on camera and personable and we have to uh not be a fucking weird pervert creep like You're a lot of the people the fruit. but i i yeah, I'm in mid-metaphor, Joel. We can't interrupt. Tell me about, tell me about the fruit. Yeah, you're describing the fruit that comes from the seed of what made YouTube interesting to start with. Is that one person can do a whole thing? They can do the whole studio. They can be the talent. They can be the writer. They can be the executive producer. Now it's expanded to the, this live. Now that like you can't find a career counselor to guide you through this. Right. It, no one gets it, but it is weird and hard as hell to be everything to everyone. I will also say, though, like the, the, the people that do do it all, that are managerial, on-camera talent, producers, writers, um, all those, everyone I know who does everything like that, editing, like they stay up all night editing, they're all on Adderall. And, and they like, all, I'm on Adderall, but I, I have it prescribed to but me, yeah, but, <laughs> I still, uh, but uh, you don't abuse it. Lazy. You don't abuse it. I don't and, abuse it. And, and to me, like, I, Again, like I like my quality of life. I don't want to like do what's effectively prescribed speed to stay up eighteen hours like, to work right. eighteen hour days. To, like, to make to make the same amount of money you would get you would make to write one episode right. of like an hour drama on NBC. Right. So we've circled back to Or even I, on USA. I, yeah, <laughs> on, on anything. And it's shit, I'll take any show, uh, anywhere. But that's where I'm at right now, where I know that everyone that's done what you were just talking about, who does every single part of it. I mean, you, you guys know who the YouTuber I used to work for, right? The, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I know... Like, does the firsthand, audience? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I know firsthand that every YouTuber that I've worked with, and now myself included, you start to go insane trying to do all these things. You either get hopped up on drugs a lot to keep, to put yourself through it. And even though I said I, I use that, or I really only, I use it once a week, even though my doctor's like, please use it more. No, I'm talking about people uh, like pop I know, uh, but, but, but these night. people, I mean, they're using cocaine, like being totally direct and honest. Well, some, some uh, are, some, but I, I some do know that. Yeah, yeah. But so they all go fucking crazy. Or they're just manic depressive. Yeah, well, honestly, it attracts people that are that way, and if they aren't that way, it turns them into that way, and that's what I've well, discovered a lot. I mean, this is a side too. note. I, I think that in order to be a I think, not in order to be successful, I think most successful comedians specifically are, have some sort of, uh, cl like, clinically prescribable um, mental condition, sure. whether it's man mania or depression or manic depression or whatever you want to call it. Funny depression. I, I think, I th and I think that, uh, and this again, total side note, I think that entertainment acting is a, is a form of therapy for a lot of people. And whether, whether they're approaching it as a form of therapy or whether it just feels good to, like, go out there and do it, and that's the high they get out of their depression, and they come off stage and they're depressed again. But, again, that's all this is committing to a lifestyle. It's all about committing to a lifestyle, whether that lifestyle is being a social media person or being a comedian or being an actor. And, again, getting back to the whole Twitter thing, I don't... A lot of people that we know use Twitter professionally, and I mean that they tweet as entertainers. And I don't want to use Twitter professionally. Right. I want to use it personally to express who I am as a person, not to like, 
if, if I were using it more professionally, I might get more cold calls. I might get people coming to me and saying X, Y, or Z. But like, that's not how I want to live my life. And it's not how I want to represent myself in public. I want to represent who I am. Now, so I don't want to... I actually, like, I'm very envious of a lot of things you have going on, Joel, especially this lovely home that we're in right now with Thank these you. sheets of... Is this actual gold? Um, well, it's 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 gilt. So oh, it's, like, it. just the filigree. Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. Uh, so I think you have a lot of great stuff going on, but I'm, I'm not the one accusing you of this. You brought this up earlier, so I just mm-hmm. want to remind you. You yourself also are wondering, are you lost right now? And, you know, should you be doing these things? I know. Go? So, I, and my point isn't, isn't really, like, that... Uh, anything's wrong. It's more that all of us are this like lost generation that no one's paved this path before. So we're all kind of like screwed and trying to figure out. We're all trying. We're all trying to it. figure it out. We don't really have. We don't really have a lot of the benefits that our parents would have had. Right. Uh, the cost of ownership is really high. Everybody is scrambling to these few metropolitan cities so that they can get work because there isn't any work in 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 vast swaths of america mm-hmm. and so it's driving the rent prices incredibly high the cost of living is out of control the jobs are constantly shifting there is no security the the company might be here today gone tomorrow the brand might be here today gone tomorrow anything can be brought down by any kind of controversy right. as we're seeing i think uh, to a certain extent people like people who are our generation also have trouble com- with commitment because they don't want to cl- like for me it's i don't want to close off any avenue of a potential like exciting right. uh, uh, path of life. So like I'm for the first time in my life, I responded to an email. I'm going to go shoot a host gig thing on Thursday. I've never mm-hmm. done this before. Like, like pursued this, and I'm like, oh, give it a but shot. The, this is know. this is the other good thing, right? Like I'm 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 espousing a lot of negativity here, but on the flip side of this, there's a tremendous amount of potential. There are so many opportunities to do all kinds of weird things that, that would never have existed. Like we know all these kids that are making a ton of money doing like weird stuff that did that and had never cool existed things. and making yeah. cool things. And and what we're all encountering here is that there are people that want to pay us money to make stuff that makes money, right? And we did not come here to work in entertainment to make that, I think. And so we're starting to ask ourselves do we do we care more about the money and the stuff, or do we care more about making content that we want to make? And and this the city makes it very hard to ask yourself that question because the money becomes increasingly more important right. the older you get. Right? I think it costs me a thousand dollars a month just to put my my child in into a daycare so that I can work. Right? Uh, but you know, I don't. I if I if I can get away with not making content that I think is is just completely disposable and sort of like trashy uh, it, even if I have to take a pay cut to make something that I'm like feel proud of and like kind of am excited to do I, I think at this point like I'm kind of leaning more in that direction just because you know I'm, t- I'm tired of selling out so that somebody else can sell a company and buy a boat and fire all my friends right uh, can I can I be a human for a second and use a bathroom is there a way to do that we, yes. we, can, wait, well, we can wrap this up. Yeah, what, well, I said I have a little bit here? more to say, but oh right, yeah, go, go go hit the potty. I mean, I could, if you guys want to keep talking, I'd be able to hear you. Well, just use that box right there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I meant. The yeah. human litter box. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're hosting, huh? Yeah. I, so we're. I'm going to record, so I don't know if it's actually. I'm I'm on call, so I'm going to go and I'm going to do it, and I guess it's it's not it's not really an audition. It's just a we'll do it, we'll see how it goes, kind of thing. And if it's good, we're going to put it up. I'm really curious uh, about how the audience feels about this kind of stuff. Like, do we have a lot of people in the audience that are more interested in being entertainers and and being on camera and this kind of stuff? Uh, Are there more people in the audience that just like... They want to make stuff. 
that want to make stuff, that want to be filmmakers, uh, that want to write, you know, or are there a lot of people that, that just like to do this for fun? Uh, they don't really have any interest in doing this as a career, but it's something they like to listen to, like they like to watch. I'm curious to know like what the split is on that. Like how many, how many young people would prefer to have the attention and how many wouldn't? Cause th this is always the thing that, that kind of, um, that, that, that keeps coming up for me is I like doing stuff on camera. Like I really love doing, uh, functions and flagons. We just recorded our last three episodes. Yeah. It was super the other fun. Day. It was super fun when I was on it several months or weeks ago whenever you remember that episode yeah that was super fun so we did we did three episodes in a row uh for the second time which which i i should have known not to do um because we were really hung over the, the first time and it was so it was so bad this did you time crazy drunk? oh my god so sam and i rolled ones within the first uh fucking few minutes and and mod made us well, each do two shots and it was all downhill from there that was in the first episode that was in the first 15 minutes we were there for hours so by this is all the way through the season finale. Yeah. So by the time by the time we got to the end of it, we were just absolutely destroyed. Uh, well, but Sam also can't hold his liquor, and especially over time, nobody can hold the amount of liquor that we consumed. And, and here's the thing: I fucking love it. I love doing it. Um, well, so and this audience is is really cool. But but I've worked at companies where the audience is not as cool, right? right. We had some weird times that were like up and down at, at SourceFed, and we definitely had a, like a really weird kind of super like negative call of duty bro audience for a long time at machinima. at machinima that i was not a fan of you know and so i was not excited to be on camera there at all um whereas even right before that i was doing a lot of on camera stuff so i think like there, there is there is a certain loss that comes from from becoming a public person all of a sudden it's it's expected that you can't have a comment on everything it's expected that you always watch your words it's expected yeah. that you always be visible it's expected that you always be the same it's expected that you you know be available all the time. I'm back. That, right. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. Yeah. No it's um you know the always on element of it is not something that I've ever been super comfortable with, and so I, I think it takes a certain kind of person to want that amount of attention. Whereas I I've, I prefer to be kind of private. Like you don't see me posting a lot on Instagram and Twitter generally because I I kind of consider my opinions my own and my my life is my own, and I, I, I experience my life and my and, and my opinions and everything generally with my family and my friends. You know, uh, uh, you know, outside of maybe doing this podcast. I agree, and, and I'm glad you brought this up because I think that this is something that people like. So we asked the audience a little bit ago, like, do you want to be in front of the camera? And there are a lot of like really cool, exciting things you get to do if you're in front of the camera, and it is fun and it is great. It gives you so many and, opportunities, and it but it, opportunities, but it also and, creates some scary situations. And it creates some scary situations, it's both in terms of like um, date, like you know, stranger danger, but also in terms of who you become when you are forced to be on all the time. I went out of town with a with a bunch of friends a couple of weeks ago, and it was super fun. And I made a conscious choice that I'm not going to like. I don't want to interrupt the fun that we're having to like, let's all post a picture to Instagram to like show who's here and to like get people to like it or whatever. Um, and I was, I mean, it was all friends of ours that were there and it was super fun. I had such a good time, but there were a couple people that were constantly like posting to Twitter, posting to Instagram. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to have to do that. And I'm really like, that's one of the reasons I'm glad I'm not on camera talent is because like, I don't, and I took pictures while I was there. They're on my phone and I will eventually post them. But while I'm, while I'm doing that, I'm having like a life moment. I don't want to have to be the person who's like, let's take the Instagram picture. Right. Like, 
when you're over, you know, if we're doing this in a professional capacity, right? Like we took a lot of pictures during the first few weeks of recording the boys and I, because we wanted to sort of promote what we're doing. We should probably do it again because let's be honest, people have forgotten we existed. <laughs> um, so, but like, it's our own fault. It's our own fault. And if I'm going to go somewhere and shoot something like I do, I think I do on Thursday, I am going to assume that I will probably post like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Here I am doing this thing. But if I'm like, I don't want to have a life where I have friends who are in the industry and like every time we hang out, we have to post pictures together. I have my birthday. When we had, when we went out for drinks for my birthday, a lot of the people who were there are, some of them are on camera people and they were like posting pictures and like. like and to be fair to them, it's their job. No, it, it is, and, and that's and that's the thing I'm sort of uncomfortable they with. They, like, don't, yeah. they, they can make a conscious choice. Like tonight, we're just going to hang out and be the people that we were eight years ago when we so, first met so, each other. So speaking from the tiniest bit of like being one of those people that I am, or that I have to be, and I'm not great about posting anything anywhere either, by the way. Uh, so I want, I'm exactly the kind of person that's like, can't we just have like fun tonight, guys? And yet. Here's something that if you have your friend, let's call him Shmeeb Maragoza, uh, and he's you know very popular online, and you go and you hang out with him, you get a drink with him, and he goes to take a picture of the fact that you guys are getting a drink, and you want to have a second of, of thinking like, man, I wish we could just be having a drink. Fine. Let's say you even said that, and he was like, okay, cool, put it away. Now this stress and onus is on his mind of, well, this was something cool that I was doing today. Now I have to find a whole other stupid thing that I have to like elevate into importance I'm going to dress up in this weird thing. I'm going to go do this thing because I have to maintain these things that... It's almost like it's almost like you become the annoying person if you don't really want to be photographed at a party. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? Like, it's, well, it's like, to me, it's something about not wanting right. to be photographed. I'm happy to be photographed. It's just, like, it, that's, not, that's not the issue. For me, the issue is like the constantly... Now the picture is taken, I'm going to spend five minutes right. like posting it, having a caption, respond, and right. you're right, like responding to every comment because that's part, like being a super right. engaged social media person is part of the job. And when I post stuff, like I sometimes will post and go to sleep and I'll wake up and go, like comments will be eight or nine hours old and I'll be like, okay, I have to respond to some of this stuff, but right. I don't want to have to do it in the moment. No, and, 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 and that's, that's what, you know, the difference between being one of the people that, you know, is, is doing this professionally and isn't. Now, I will say, I'm going to remind everyone, it is unhealthy and it creates problems in your psyche to see everything in your life as if there is a camera there or there's there's a good opportunity for a camera to be there and it makes you go crazy. I mean, and I'm, I'm realizing, I realize it's in the bathroom, I, I, I thought of it. No, my uh, bathroom's a good place for photos. Yeah, well, I always think best in the bathroom, any bathroom, really. Uh, <laughs> I'll and, put a whiteboard there for you next Oh, time. you should, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, what I realize is we are talking about the generation that... Right now, the way we talk about professional football players and the damage that the job has done to them, and that we're able to see that 40 years later mm-hmm. and take brain scans, that is happening right now to the people that we know or the people that we are. That's interesting. I hadn't thought, I hadn't considered that. That may, you know, it may be true. Uh, I don't know how how much. Um, I mean, I think the radiation of a phone, the phone is like a physical thing that that might hurt what's inside of our balls and ovaries and brains. Um, but I hadn't thought about the constant like attention span deficit over time, like totally changing our biology. I can barely behavior. get through a movie at home anymore. Like I spend so much time with my phone in my hand, even when I'm trying to be a responsible parent, it, it's disgusting. My phone, now the battery dies so quickly mm-hmm. uh, that it's actually really easy for me because I just leave it charging in another room. And I just like, that's why I, I never respond to text. How the fuck you play Marvel Puzzle Quest then, dude? I plug it in the bathroom and I'll sit in the toilet for about 45 minutes to get my Vince done. Wow. Yeah. 
Really, all we're saying is bathrooms are really where you get the real work done. Um, <laughs> right. You didn't give me a time uh, time check last time I asked. Can you give me a time check right now? Oh, we're we're at least an hour in. So if you guys want to wrap it up, we I can. Think, like, let's this, this, uh, well, I feel like we should uh, switch over real quick, and everyone has to say something positive about our lives in this industry. Oh, I mean, I I am like I'm still working in the industry. I'm contracting for Machinima mm-hmm. right now. Like, and I and I wouldn't be there if I felt that the company was irredeemable, you know, which is like damning with fame praise probably. But I still am excited about the promise of digital media. I still think there are really cool things that can happen. I am one of the few people that I know that is interested in Instagram and Snapchat videos and trying to make shows on there and like trying to experiment with that. Like that, I think the people that figure that out where it's not just like recut bullshit Mm -hmm. are going to be in the same position that Machinima was in 2009 and 10 when they were the first company to figure out how to program on YouTube and make shows on YouTube. The first company that figures that out for Instagram and Snapchat are going to make a ton of money um, or will be able to coast for eight years and slow decline. But I, I don't know, I, it could still be really cool if people remember that it's different than TV. And, and from what I've seen, once these companies get acquired and they, they forget that it's different than TV, they don't want a TV network. Yeah. I, I ended on a, I was a positive note and I ended yeah. on a negative note. I did it. <laughs> I figured it out. It's the best we can get. This week, that's yeah. fine. And I'm uh, supposed to be the positive person. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to be the uh, optimist. I, uh, I'm not one to, to cry and complain about the lot that I've drawn, and so I'm actively working to change it. I, I think there are problems with the connectivity between digital and linear, and so I'm going to be working on something these next few months that, that kind of like throws a grappling hook over that wall. So my intention is to is to do something innovative again that kind of connects the dots between digital and linear in a in an interesting and new way. And I'm going to be working with some very talented people, and it's going to be diverse and it's going to be smart, and I think it's going to be funny. And I'm really excited about it. Uh, and so I, I'm actually I'm actually in a in a good in a good place right now. Um, I just have to be prepared for the the you know eventuality that it may not work, and if it doesn't work, I could I could stand to lose a lot. But you know, I think those are odds I can live with. As long as the checks there for the first uh, for the first year. You know, I'm I'm working on you know hustling little side gigs and stuff and building out my runway as far as I can. So it's kind of like that. Um, that uh, which which Fast and Furious movie is it where they're like on a runway and That's it and it, Fast Six. and it goes for like it goes for like a good like forty minutes and, the, and it never Gal takes Gadot off. Dies, right? Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's yeah. my life right now. You know, I may lose a, a Gal Gadot. Uh, no. Gadot. She's, she's really not French. Along the way, um, <laughs> hopefully not. But uh, yeah, must can spare a Gal Gadot. <laughs> she's too precious. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, I if you're if you're unhappy with how things are going, just fucking change it. Well, okay, so that'll that's a nice uh, segue into my moment of positivity that I'm forcing myself to do. I swear to God, on the way here, I forced myself to smile for the whole drive so that I wouldn't come <laughs> up and beat such a downer. I'm not kidding at all because I was like, dude, I'm, uh, they, this happened to line up with like a week where I'm pretty frustrated. With but that's good things. because like the nature of our podcast is to like really delve into the problems with digital media and and ultimately try to find solutions and work our way through it. I think. But, right. Go ahead. But in terms of what Jeremy's saying, like you know. Essentially, they grabbed the bull by the horns thing, but uh, but you know, uh, your destiny's in your control. This is my favorite thing about this industry, and the things that I'm saying that it's like the reason that you you burn so bright as a candle here and burn the hell out and you go crazy is because it's one of the few things where the amount you put into it is what you get out of it, and so you can actually change your course on your life 
in this industry and you can't elsewhere. My biggest dream is to be just, it's, it's so simple in terms of like, it's so specific, I guess. It's just a TV writer on a, on a sitcom. I just want to be a TV writer on a sitcom. I will eventually have aspirations beyond that. I want to be a showrunner, I want to have movies, whatever. But I want to be a TV writer on a sitcom and that's just as simply what I want to be. And I can't just be that. I can't just go be that. And even if I'm, I deserve it in every way, everything else in the industry has to line up and I have to try for 10 to 15 years to do it in order for it to happen. Here, it's like, I swear to you, I did have the moment where I decided, you know what, I feel like maybe if I did some YouTube stuff, maybe that'll go well. And that wasn't that long ago. I was able to just start doing YouTube stuff, and then it did lead to opportunities. And even right now, here's the craziest thing, I'm closer to being a television sitcom writer than I ever have been, not through, uh, only through things related to YouTube. Things there have given me connections now that I might be able to turn into that. If I had a glass, I would toast that because I'm in the same place. Uh, and I, after having worked in T, I worked in sitcoms for five or six years and it, it didn't give me shit. And mm -hmm. I wrote for a TV show this past summer. And right. yeah, and, and, and it, it can happen. I'm saying right. you're right. And it can happen. All of your dreams can come true in Los Angeles. Right. Everyone should move here and really wreck the housing market. Uh, and, uh, and yeah. I don't think cool. you necessarily have to live here anymore to be able to do it. To, to, do, to do YouTube for yeah. TV, you have to. Yeah. Yeah, you have to yeah. Or New York. So do your YouTube somewhere else first and then move here. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Well, honestly, be sane for as long as you can. And this place already kind of makes you a little It's insane. a little bit of a meat grinder. You uh, get used to it I eventually. Love it. I love it here. Oh, I, I would never live anywhere else. But if you are uh, the kind of person that has genetic predisposition toward insanity, it's going to come out here. <laughs> It'll come out in New York first. Uh, different kind of neuroses will there. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, Phil. We really appreciate it. It's sort of a semi-last minute uh, uh, sure. guest <laughs> edition, sort of. Um, this was really interesting to be. Uh, you're, there's not a lot of people that you can be candid about this kind of stuff with at this level. Kind of, there's kind of like people, uh, they they don't have success uh, in YouTube normally. And if they do, it's a very private thing you want to talk about. So you guys are doing good work of just trying to make this a thing that we can all discuss kind of openly. Thank you. Thanks, um, Philip. Uh, just a real quick update on the boys and I. We were a little bit coy for some reason at the top of the episode. Uh, Brett's probably not going to be on the show much uh, going forward. He's really busy with cow chop stuff. And we're going to turn this, I think, into a guest interview. We are going to pivot and turn it into a guest interview show. So you can expect to see uh, the transactional nature of digital media collaborations, as I was saying earlier. Um, the, brilliant, brilliant show. Uh, whatever the fuck it was. Um, and we want to talk to a lot of different... Um, a lot of different guests about their experiences and their thoughts in digital media. So if you have somebody that you would like to see on the show, um, me, no, the audience. Well, you I too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking now. <laughs> the guest part of the show is done. This oh. is the host wrap. Uh, <laughs> so I'm Joel. Finish up the show. Oh, Got to no. tell you all this info before we go. How, how obvious was it that he would take that a bait? So yeah, <laughs> it was a guarantee. That's my on-camera persona. Um, so if you have any, if you as the audience have anybody that you'd like to see on the show, tweet us. Um, I'm at Joel Rubin underscore. I'm at Danger Sharks. And we are also on YouTube. Uh, I'm sorry, we're also on Twitter at The Goddamn Boys. Uh, let us know who you'd like to see on the show and we can see if we, we invite them. We have a long list of people that we'd like to get on. And additionally, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please leave us a review. It helps us get surfaced. It's been a while since we've been out there and we'd like to we'd like to resume this as a regular show. And it's only worth our while if you guys are listening and sharing the show. All right, well, uh, thanks for coming on, Philip, and uh, thanks to everybody at home for listening. Bye-bye. Uh, I'll see you in hell. Sorry for all the positivity. <laughs>